0: InDeep is made possible through the generous support of Manitou Fund. A special thanks to them for helping us share the hidden world of water with you.
1: When I was a freshman at the University of Chicago, I joined the club crew team. It was, in my mind, the quintessential college thing to do. It made some lasting impressions on me. One is that I absolutely hate the rowing machines we had to practice on all the time. Oh, this. Another came from the only time I was actually on the water. We had to row in a lagoon, not on the Chicago River. Why not, we asked. Our coaches told us, oh, you don't want to be in there. It's so filthy that if we flipped over, we'd all have to go to the emergency room to get shots. I quit crew after just a few weeks because I sucked at it. But I've never forgotten that story about how gross the Chicago River is. And I've wondered how much of it was exaggeration. Urban legend. I've asked around to see if it was ever an official recommendation that people get shots if they touch the river. But I haven't gotten a straight answer from officials who might know. But its gross reputation was widespread. I met someone else who was on the river in those days. So I'm Andrew Sargis and I'm the chief of operations of Chicago Water Taxi. They're also known as Wendella Tours.
2: Hi, everybody. Hi. Good afternoon.
3: Welcome aboard. Welcome to Chicago. They're
1: a fixture of the Chicago tourism scene. You can see their boats every day, ferrying passengers or giving architecture tours.
0: Now along the way, we're going to see around 65-ish different buildings.
1: Andrew has had a lifelong connection with the company. The owner is his godfather. And Andrew remembers sitting on the man's lap when he was a kid, helping steer the boats. It was only natural he'd begin working there at the age of 16.
3: Started off as a guest uh, service ambassador or a greeter. I delivered brochures. I was a deckhand. I was a senior deckhand. I was a bartender.
1: Even when he went to
3: college,
1: he kept coming back to work over the summers. And when I graduated school, it was at the height of the Great Recession. Terrible job market. So he came back to Chicago River Taxi, and now he's the chief of operations.
3: I'm relatively young, I'm 33, but I've been on this river far longer than most of the entities and new businesses have been. Um, so I can speak a little bit to history and,
1: and what things were like before they were here. So what's it been like, spending most of his adult life tied to the Chicago River? Let's just say he's seen some crap. Literally.
3: Feces, condoms, tampons, dead animals, hypodermic needles. I mean, all sorts of nasty stuff floating in the river all the time.
1: Remember how I was told 20 years ago not to touch the river? Andrew remembers those days, too. In fact, company policy was... If
3: you were to fall in the water or or make significant contact with the water, uh, you would go to urgent care and get looked at, maybe get antibiotics, maybe get some drops in your ear.
1: From American Public Media and The Water Main, this is In Deep, a podcast that asks, do you know where your water has been? Because we do, and we think there are some things you need to know about. I'm Jed Kim. Today, we're talking about a big problem that Chicago faces. And actually, a lot of cities with older sewer systems have the same problem. When it rains hard, raw sewage pours into rivers. We're going to learn why it's such a problem, and we'll see how Chicago's tackling it in its own big-shouldered way. There are several ways a city's rivers can get polluted. Things like illegal dumping rain runoff that washes in grime, and wildlife answering nature's call. But for many cities, huge amounts of sewage get directly injected into waterways in what's known as a CSO. Which is not to be confused with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. No, in this case, CSO stands for Combined Sewer Overflow. They happen because older cities like Chicago were founded and developed back before we had a handle on what makes for a good sewer system. Many of them have what's known as a combined sewer system. That means in most places, it has one pipe to carry both sewage and stormwater. And believe it or not, it's the stormwater that's the problem. That one pipe would typically carry all that water, wastewater and stormwater together, to a treatment plant. But heavy rainstorms can overwhelm the system. That one pipe gets filled. A mass of grossness begins backing up in the pipe. There's no way the treatment plant will be able to handle this huge load coming its way. The volume will overwhelm the system. So eventually, to save their infrastructure, sewer managers have to relieve pressure in the pipe. And they release raw sewage into local rivers. Senior producer Todd Melby, and I wanted to see where this actually happens. Like, was it a well-guarded secret location? We had a guide take us to one.
0: So my name is Margaret Frisbee, and I'm the executive director of Friends of the Chicago River. And we're walking through downtown Chicago over to the south branch of the Chicago River to go look at what a combined sewer outfall is.
3: Why do I want to look at that?
0: Well, it's the point at which our... Sewer system touches our river. The way
1: Margaret's organization works to improve the quality of the Chicago River through a number of ways. Developing policy, doing a lot of education and outreach, actual on-the-ground physical work. Margaret is kind of a super booster for the river, and it fits her. Like, most people would have just seen a grayish stretch of water on a drizzly day. Not her.
0: The river actually looks quite painterly with the reflection of the light and the reflection of the seawall. I always think that this, when I walk over the bridge from the train in the morning, on days like this, it would be fun to paint it because all of the different colors, it really looks like...
1: It only took minutes to walk from her office to a sewage outfall. There are more than 300 of these spots along the area's riverways. And the one she took us to sits at the base of the Harrison Street drawbridge. Just above the water, there's a squarish hole. If you could walk on water, you could head right into the darkness.
0: And that square is the outfall. In some places, the outfalls actually are under the water, so you don't see them. But a lot of them are big like this.
1: This is one of the points where sewer managers release untreated waste into the water. And it's not hidden at all. But I gotta say, unless you know what to look for, they just blend in with the architecture. Margaret says even when they're sloshing out sewage, it's not really obvious.
0: It's not like gushing, you know, like a fire truck and spraying water. But what you would see is um, movement in the water, a current. Um, Often there's the color of the water would change. So because what's coming out is, you know, got sewage in it, you would see uh, floating chunks of what is sewage.
1: Chunks. They can't be good. But what exactly is their impact? I asked our team's resident ecologist Dan Ackerman, and he says combined sewer overflows dump, dump a, lot a lot of gross, gross stuff, stuff into, into the, the water.
2: water. We're talking E. coli, Salmonella, cholera, Giardia, hepatitis A, norovirus, uh, something called Cryptosporidium. So you want to avoid water uh, anytime there's raw sewage in it,
1: right? Because you'll you'll get sick.
2: Right, and the science actually shows that that could be happening. So there are a few studies um, that basically demonstrate in the days following a really big rainstorm that triggers a sewer overflow, there's an uptick in hospital visits for gastrointestinal illness, basically diarrhea for folks who may have contacted some of that water. And some of this uh,
1: is going into the Lake Michigan, which is the source of Chicago's drinking water, right?
2: Uh, Yeah, so... During really big storm events, um, the sewage washes right into Lake Michigan. That's happened a handful of times since 2015. And when it does happen, the drinking water officials have to pour a lot more chlorine into the drinking water to make sure it's clean. But I will note that over 200 times in that same time span since 2015, sewers have overflowed into the Chicago River. Ah, the other way. The other way, towards the Mississippi, yep.
1: And he says once sewage gets into rivers, it can impact wildlife
2: far downstream. Chicago's sewage can actually end up all the way down um, at the mouth of the Mississippi River. And that can basically fuel this big bloom of of algae that feed on all the stuff in the sewage. And when those algae die and decompose, it sucks up all the oxygen in the water, which kind of kills everything that needs to breathe oxygen. So like fish and crabs and shrimp, um, they can't survive in this so-called dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. Besides all of the health and environmental problems they cause, combined sewer overflows are
1: essentially illegal under the Clean Water Act, which if you're a state government or a water sanitation district, might be the biggest reason to stop them. But doing that in Chicago is a mountainous task. And the most effective way, separating out sewage from stormwater, would be far too expensive and disruptive. I mean, you'd basically have to rip up every street and replace every pipe. So how are they tackling the problem? By going big, of course. This is Chicago. your boots on, we're gonna get deep. That's after the break. This is In Deep. I'm Jed Kim. So we're spending a lot of time talking about Chicago in our podcast, not to pick on it, but because its gargantuan attempts to keep waste out of the water used for drinking and recreating show us just how hard this problem is to solve. Chicago's got a grand storied tradition of engineering massive water infrastructure fixes, like digging a two-mile-long tunnel under Lake Michigan or reversing the flow of the Chicago River. Well, about a half-century ago, it began working on another one to end its sewer overflows. See, Americans were waking up to the problems of pollution. Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring, had just come out.
0: In an age when man has forgotten
3: his origins and is blind even to his most essential needs for survival, water, along with other resources, has become the victim of his indifference.
1: Perhaps a bit flowery by today's standards, but it really struck a chord back then. It's widely credited with helping spawn the modern environmental movement. People demanded changes, and sewage managers saw the writing on the wall.
3: We've got to do something about these combined sewers. They're discharging sewage and stormwater into the waterways every three or four days. That's not acceptable. So let's do something about it.
1: That's Dick Lanyon, the former executive director of the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District, the agency that manages the Chicago area's sewage. He's also written several books on Chicago's infrastructure. He says just a month after Silent Spring came out, Chicago's Sanitary District got a new boss in Vinton Bacon. He was a reformer brought in after corruption at the district came to light. Compared to his predecessors, Bacon was more forward-thinking and open to ideas. One of the ideas? Instead of letting sewage flow downstream, how about building a massive system of tunnels and reservoirs?
3: To collect and hold this contaminated stormwater runoff and then treat it.
1: Dick says his agency looked at 23 plans for how to go about ending flooding and stopping pollution— What they settled on is an enormous system of reservoirs and tunnels, more than 109 miles of tunnels. And when I say enormous, some of them are 33 feet across in diameter. It's a mind-bogglingly massive engineering solution to a sewage problem. A marvel like this needs a great name. Or whatever. I always call it
3: deep tunnel. And it is deep when you get down to the reservoirs, We're talking about 300, 320 feet deep below ground.
1: The whole system has the official title of Tunnel and Reservoir Plan,
3: or TARP. But deep tunnel just sounds more like what it is. It's a deep tunnel.
1: When too much rain falls for the treatment plants to handle, instead of dumping untreated sewage into rivers, the deep tunnel fills up. Then, when rain stops, the treatment plants can catch up. It holds about 14 billion gallons, and it's not even finished yet. When it's complete, it'll retain over 17 billion. Producer Todd Melby and I went to check it out.
3: All right,
2: now we're going to go
1: underground. Reed Dring was a plant operations manager with the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District when we talked with him. He's retired since then. On that day, though, he took us to tour the Calumet Water Reclamation Plant. Hold your
3: hard hat and look over the edge, you'll see how far we're going.
1: At this point, he stuck his head over the side of a stairwell that just leads down down into darkness. Whoa. Jed? That's Todd. Oh my god. I gotta get a picture of that. It's so far down, I can't really tell from the picture if we actually see the bottom. Thankfully, there's an elevator. Its buttons don't have floor labels. Instead, they mark stops by how many feet below ground you are. Going from a plus 15 to a minus 335. And then walking even further down. Oh, we made it. At 365 feet below ground, we're heading to the lowest point you can stand in the Chicago area. Wow. Now, we're not actually heading into one of the tunnels because they're filled with sewage water. Instead, we're entering one of the pump rooms that help move water up from the deep tunnel to the water treatment plant above us. It's a cavernous space filled with enormous pipes and pumps. So there's three pumps in here. They are 72
3: million gallons a day each, driven by a 6,000 horsepower motor.
1: Chicago has a lot of pavement and concrete surfaces. So when it rains, most of the water can't soak into the ground and instead goes shooting down into the sewer system.
3: Some of this water is still raw wastewater. Most of it's rainwater, but a little bit of it is wastewater. So we're treating it to a high quality before we discharge it into the river. If none of this stuff existed, what would happen to Chicago? Not much would happen to Chicago, but downstream. All of our waste would be going directly into the river system.
1: The project is mostly finished. The tunnels are all dug. The final reservoir is scheduled to be put into use in 2029. So far, about $4 billion has been spent on the project. The tunnel system is massive. The reservoirs are even bigger. Think of the tunnels as long straws that lead to giant buckets. All right, so we are walking up the path to the Thornton Reservoir. Thornton Composite Reservoir is one of three giant buckets. The reservoirs fill up with untreated waste during heavy storms. Then, when there's a break in the weather, the sewage and rainwater go back through the tunnels to treatment plants. Thornton can hold 7.9 billion gallons, so a little more than half of TARP's current capacity. But it's not even going to be the biggest reservoir in the system, which is kind of crazy, because it's amazing. It is just an enormous hole in the ground. Todd likes to call it Godzilla's bathtub. I fact-checked him, and yeah... It would be a high-wall bathtub for the most recent, stupidly large Hollywood Godzilla. OG Godzilla could use it to swim laps. Brian Wozak is a senior civil engineer with the district. He can break it down into a sports metaphor. We have a soldier field here in Chicago
3: where the Bears play NFL Stadium. You could fit six soldier fields on the bottom of the reservoir and still have some room left over. And on top of those, you could fit another
1: six soldier fields. So 12 stadiums could fit within the reservoir. Several other cities have followed Chicago's lead and adopted deep tunnels of their own to stop their sewer overflows, including Milwaukee, St. Louis, Fort Wayne, Rochester. Oh, yeah, and London. None, though, is as large as Chicago's. But the city of Big Shoulders has always led the way when it comes to ginormous sewage infrastructure projects.
3: We have this legacy. The district was founded on the reversal of the Chicago River. That was voted one of the top 10 civil engineering projects of the
1: 20th century by the American Society of Civil Engineers. Brian kind of geeks out over giant civil engineering projects. This whole system has greatly relieved pressure on the treatment plants which means a lot less untreated sewage flowing into the rivers. Here's friend of the Chicago River's Margaret Frisbee again.
0: What we do know from the Water Reclamation District is that about 85% of all combined sewer overflows have been eliminated, which means that the water is so much cleaner than it used to be.
1: In fact, there are days when Friends of the Chicago River helps organize the Big Jump, an event where people plunge into the river. In a YouTube video, you can see Margaret Frisbee among the people jumping in. She comes up coughing and cheering. Now don't go diving into the Chicago River. It's a bad idea. There are currents and a lot of boat traffic. And it's still not up to swimming standards. I mean, that's part of the reason for the big jump, to bring attention to the lingering problem. Still, the very idea that anyone would jump in at all goes to show how much of an improvement has been made. And as the water has improved, so has business for Chicago Water Taxi and Andrew Sarges. So we've uh, expanded the
3: fleet. You know, now we're going to have ten, 10 vessels. And when I started working, we had four. He
1: says the reputation of the Chicago River as a foul wasteland is clearing away. Now it's prime real estate.
3: So we've seen a proliferation of businesses, breweries, wineries, restaurants, Um, passenger vessel operations, uh, you know, all sorts of new businesses pop up along the river because now it's not looked at as an open sewer, but, but, you know, a nice urban waterway.
1: Which would be a great place to end this story. But alas, there are concerns.
3: I just don't know at what point is the big tunnel not going to be big enough.
1: Because there have still been some really big sewer overflows. Andrew remembers one in particular. It was June fifteenth, 2015, Game 6 of Hockey's Stanley Cup Championship. The Chicago Blackhawks were up three games to two over the Tampa Bay Lightning. Andrew was looking forward to watching the game on TV after work.
3: For the third time in six years, the Blackhawks are Stanley Cup champions!
1: But he missed it. See, other sirens were also sounding in Chicago that day.
3: The National Weather Service in Chicago has issued a tornado warning
1: for central Cook County in northeastern Illinois. All that crazy weather meant chaos for Andrew's team. Helping passengers off, securing the boats against the rapidly rising water level. I got to
3: tell you, I've never seen rainfall like that in my life. It was torrential downpour for hours on end. I mean, it was really just unbelievable. You know, and that water has nowhere to go. So
1: they're, they're pumping it all into the river. Yeah, Pumping doesn't quite capture it. At one point, he noticed filthy water literally shooting out of the sewer outflows. Now, that was during an epic storm, but epic storms may be increasing. See, there's this little thing called climate change, and it wasn't on most people's radar back in the early 70s when the deep tunnel was being planned. Chicago and other cities have already noticed increased rainfall due to it. Parts of the deep tunnel have hit capacity a few times. Michael Taboris focuses on water and agriculture for the Chicago Council on Global Affairs.
2: And this is happening more frequently because we're seeing intense, uh, more intense storms more frequently.
1: On average, overflows happen in Chicago on about 40 days each year. During one big storm this past spring, more than a billion gallons of stormwater mixed with sewage dumped into Lake Michigan. And climate projections suggest it's only going to get worse. And that's made many people rethink enormous engineering fixes as the end-all, be-all solutions to sewage overflows.
2: We'll probably need a multitude of little fixes. The big, giant solutions, you know, they, they kicked the can down the road. The deep tunnel kicked the can down the road for us, but it didn't fundamentally alter the way that the water system worked. It didn't fundamentally alter... What needed to happen in order to deal with new threats, you know, a new reality of climate change. The key may
1: be to go small, but can Chicago stop its mega-building habit? We'll get into that in a later episode. On our next episode of In Deep, we'll find out why millions of people in the United States might still have lead in the water that comes out of their faucets, And why did we ever use lead pipes anyway? The In Deep production team includes Todd Melby, Dan Ackerman, Chris Julin, Annie Baxter, and me, Judd Kim. Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme music. In Deep is a production of The Watermane at American Public Media.